This is the Cheryl Stroud Skin 365 Expert Podcast, and I'm Cheryl Stroud. Today, my special guest is Michelle Fallon. She has been a licensed practicing esthetician for over 34 years. She has taught aesthetics at every level, including state boards, clinical and medical, and Sedesco training. Before we get started, let's get to know Michelle a little bit better. Michelle writes the core curriculum and teaches the clinical aesthetics portion of the innovative and highly advanced program at Concepts Institute of Advanced Aesthetics in the San Francisco Bay Area. Michelle is an international Sedesco diplomat, Sedesco educator, and Sedesco test examiner. She is a registered aromatherapist, one of the few registered here in the United States. She writes on a variety of industry topics, and her articles have been featured in such publications as Skin Inc., Dermoscope, Les Nouvelles Aesthetiques, Skin Deep, and Aromatherapy Newsletter. She has been interviewed by CBS for her extensive knowledge of skincare. Michelle owned an innovative and clinically integrative spa in San Francisco for over 20 years and still maintains a private practice. She is a contributing author of the book, The Esthetician's Guide to Outstanding Aesthetics, Volume 1 and 2, and the founder and executive director at Concepts Institute of Advanced Aesthetics. So that leads us into into you. Um, You know, you're an accomplished educator in our field. So where do you see our see our industry heading? Well, it, it's you know yeah you're you're right. I've been in the industry since the mid to late '80s. It's hard to even say or imagine, but um, things have just changed, as you know, because you've been in the industry a long time as well. Just just moving at lightning speed. I see, and what's different now than how it was back then in you know the late 80s is that um, of course people still want a lot of people still want their I call them the basic European facials with the relaxing massage and the extractions and things like that but they also really want a lot of corrective skin care you know, treatments for hyperpigmentation whether it be solar lentigo or melasma or ephylitis or other things along those lines they want real significant treatment for for acne or treatment for I shouldn't say treatment for there's no treatment for aging but um, or we should say any reversal for real aging but you know slowing down the hands of time a little bit and so that's really where I see it going that a lot of people clients that have been with me for decades and I still do give them a very small you know massage because they like that massage a lot of them come in and need that relaxation because they're they're so stressed but they also want the corrective treatments and I see that more and more and more with all age groups it used to be back in the 80s most of my clients were you know between the ages of maybe 25 and 60 but now you know they range from 12 through you know as far as you can imagine and and they continue with treatments you know for for their their lifetime so I really see corrective treatments um taking root I know they have taken root but I see that happening a lot more for um you know a, a greater percent of just the population in general um, in a recent conversation I had with Mary Nielsen, she's a author of Fearless Beauties, we also talked about future of aesthetics, and we saw that like a real branching off of health and wellness 
and like medi spa type things. So the health and wellness for the anxiety and the recharging and those kind of things. And then the medi spa for the quick solution to a specific problem with the skin. Do you, how do you feel about that? I, I say absolutely. You know, there's still a, here in California, where I am in California, the esthetician scope of practice is still very narrow. You know, estheticians that work in a medical office can be trained by the physician and then certified by that particular physician to be a medical assistant in their office, but that certificate's only good for that office. Uh, but I definitely think that would be, um, I, I think that's up and coming. I think it's something that's necessary, you know, to allow estheticians or maybe to even have a certification program because I know in most states certification can't override licensing. Right. Um, unless, of course, maybe you're duly licensed or duly certified in something other than just aesthetics. So I, I think that's something that would that's up and coming, and I think it's something that's necessary because we are just growing, we are expanding um, knowledge. You know, the knowledge that we have now is is just so much more expansive than we had back in the you know the earlier days. So I, I agree. <laughs> How do you, Definitely. What, what would you think of the idea of um, estheticians be getting folded under the medical field and actually having some kind of associate's degree or bachelor's degree where it was uh, aesthetics and nursing mixed where we weren't learning like bedpan changing and, you know, things like that, but it was more toward the appropriate um, aesthetic, you know, plastic surgery, dermatology field. What do you, how do you think that would work in our industry with an associate's or a bachelor? I think I, I like that idea because I know as some estheticians who just want to work in the day spa side of things and they're not interested in medical or clinical at all. And then I know other estheticians that only want to work in medical. You know, they want to do corrective treatments. They want to assist the doctor either in the OR or in the treatment room. So I think, um, and I know, I, I assume too, there in Connecticut and New York, you're all licensed under the Board of Cosmetology, right? Right. So for a medical esthetician, then I guess that would be I guess we would then be licensed under another board. Would it be the board of nursing or, you know, another board rather than the board of cosmetology? How do you feel about, even though, um, you know, people who like to work in wellness spas and stuff, that's still somewhat, I wouldn't say medical, medical, but with the alternative treatments, you know, like Ayurvedic or reflexology, they're still healing arts that they could still learn those in an associate or bachelor's degree as well. Everybody would just be well-rounded. But it's, right. you know, like it's, it's, I think that those um, health and wellness th um, venues are also doing very health-related improvements. Yes, yes, I, I agree. Do you, uh, do you know of a program that is an associate or arts degree at this time that is, uh, you know, specifically for individuals who want to go into more of the medical aesthetics? Um, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> <But> <laughs> no, I, I, had a I, 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 I don't either yet, but I have always thought over the last, you know, 10 or 20 years that that would, that would be a great idea. I don't know why this is, you know, something like this hasn't been developed. I know in, in my training facility, Concepts Institute of Advanced Aesthetics, we 
and specifically me, designed the program to help estheticians and also nurses or nurses who want to be cosmetic nurses gain some training so that they can work more effectively in a medical spa or a medical office. But I, I have been asked for years, why is there not a training program in the colleges, right, in the junior colleges that offer medical aesthetics so that estheticians can gain an associate of arts degree and then maybe have, you know, be licensed in medical aesthetics? Well, I think, too, from my... That's the question of the day. <laughs> that is the question of the day. And I think um, having come from a marketing background where I have a bachelor's and a master's degree, I just feel that to elevate the aesthetics industry would only make sense to get some kind of degree credential instead of just a certificate yes. credential or, you know, just plain licensing. Because nurses get a, a degree plus they get a license. So right, exactly. It's not any really, you know, big difference. So that might, you know, that might be another project on my plate one day. I, I think, I mean, I'm all for that. I, I know that has been a question that's been asked by many mm -hmm. for over a long period of time. And I don't know, you know, what needs to be established to be able to bring that about. Right. But that, you know, I would definitely be interested on working on any projects of that sort. Okay. So then <laughs> in we'll, the future, we'll, we'll talk yes. on the side. <laughs> yeah. If you have some ideas. So then or, that leads us into uh, my next question is, with all that being said, how should an esthetician be looking at their career plans to be ahead of the curve? Yes. And that, that's a good question, too. I think that, um, of course, there's no substitute for experience, but education is definitely right up there with it. And if you want to work more in the, let's say, the medical arena, I think definitely training. Training is right there at the top. I do know a lot of doctors who are willing to train their estheticians sort of on-the-job training, but I also know a lot of doctors who prefer the estheticians to come in with at least some training. The big thing for most of the, do most of the docs that I work with is, you know, at the top of the list, they, of course, want an esthetician who is not just great with the skin, but who is a master of, of the skin, and then someone who has a, um, an entrepreneurial spirit who can kind of, you know, take the bull by the horns, is self-directed, motivated, those kinds of things. Um, kind of drifted off there. Sorry about that. No, <laughs> but, no, no. That's okay. Um, but that's a good point that you make is entrepreneurial, as in most of our certificate-based schools don't really give a solid background in how to run a business, how to handle your money, how to promote yourself, market yourself well. So how does someone get that experience? Of, and, and, and that's just an experience. If, if they can gain experience or they have a mentor or they can intern somewhere, that, that would be phenomenal. We do have some classes on, I call it Business 101, mm -hmm. you know, for estheticians who are just starting out and, and maybe don't have any background at all. We start with... Um, ground zero and, and go through all of the different facets of business. But that is a good question. I think, you know, I know some estheticians sort of learn on the job. Others have great mentors. There are classes and courses that one could take. I did a lot of my, I do have a background in, in business. And so that's kind of where I started and, and why I went into, you know, a business for skincare and then founded Concepts Institute. But I think there are some classes out there 
there are a few estheticians too, uh, like myself, who have a, a background or a, an undergrad degree in business, which is helpful. Mm -hmm. The experience is very helpful. Working with someone who's you know who's great in the industry, learning from them. If you can do that, that that would be a great idea for those estheticians who can find someone to mentor them. Tell us more about Concept Institute. What that what is that about, and what can somebody do with you through that? So Concepts Institute was um, developed for nurses and estheticians who want to get a better understanding of advanced aesthetics and clinical aesthetics. For years, um, I've taught uh, you know every level from state board through advanced medical and clinical Sedesco, and I've always had estheticians, especially, ask me. Why is there no specific training? And this goes back to what we first started talking about. Why is there no specific training for estheticians so that they can work in a medical office and learn things that they need to know? Patient charting, I know it sounds kind of boring, but if you're working in a medical office, a patient chart, of course, is a legal document. So patient charting, some medical terminology, learning how to speak the language of medical aesthetics so that you can work synergistically with the rest of the team. So I designed, when I first designed the program, that is what it was based on. Individuals can come in and take one class or they could take many classes. Once you take at least five of the qualifying classes, you can test out and earn a clinical aesthetic certificate from our training facility, which I found has been really helpful for estheticians uh, around, around the, the globe, around the United States and outside. I train a lot of people outside of the United States as well. Mm -hmm. We also have a paramedical aesthetics program that is given myself and also Dr. Green, who's our medical director. He's a board-certified facial plastic surgeon. Right now, that class is online on demand, but it gives you a lot of what you want to know to work comfortably in a medical spa. Some of the basics we go over, skin, you know, treatments for different things, some lymphatic drainage, skin diseases and disorders, and the doc goes into a lot of the treatments that nurses and doctors would administer. But still, as an esthetician, if you're working in that environment, you will want to know these things so that you can educate the patients as well, so that you can be there to back them up, so that you can speak the language. That That's all important. Can you explain what paramedical is? Paramedical basically means around, surrounding uh, aesthetics. I know we can't really use the word medical aesthetics, at least not here in California anyway, right? Yep. So we use the word paramedical aesthetics, and that basically means that you're still an esthetician. So if you present yourself, you as an esthetician who's licensed or on your you know, business card, it would say licensed esthetician, um, with a certificate in paramedical aesthetics. Okay. So everyone knows, you know, you're an esthetician, but you have this extra education in paramedical aesthetics. And I find that really helps to give people that extra edge when they go and apply in the medical spas. The doctors seem to like to see you know, a certificate where another doctor has signed it, signed off on it, and endorsed the applicant. That seems to be, you know, seems to be something that they really like. They understand, okay, well, this physician, this individual was trained by a physician partially, and 
uh, you know, some of my job is done there. And then they could come in and do the training that they want and tweak it a little bit. But that's been really helpful for a lot of our estheticians who have come through the program. So is that unique to you or, or are there paramedical programs everywhere? Good question. That program is actually unique uh, to us. I know there are a couple of other programs throughout the United States that teach some of what we teach as well. But yeah, this particular, uh, let's say, you know, credential or certificate is unique to us. And then is it unique to the aesthetic field as well? Like as in paramedical might be to like in general might be a general medical kind of concept where your program is specific to aesthetics. Yes, so our program is very specific to aesthetics. I know in, and I'm not sure about all the different, you know, states in the U.S., but I know in, in California, as, as, as an RN, you can um, be licensed as an RN and get a job performing Botox and fillers and lasers and all of those good things and not have an aesthetic background at all. And so, right. you know, have not taken any, any skin, anything like that. And um, a lot of the nurses don't feel real comfortable with that. And they may not get the on-the-job training that they want and that they require. So they'll take a program here first, and it will build their confidence. They'll gain, you know, knowledge. And then they go on to take the Botox and, and filler course on top of that so that they can go out and practice you know, competently and confidently. Right. So that's really great because that was what we were talking about earlier as well, is that there's a exactly. lot of people now getting into our industry that don't have all the same credentials and you're, we're providing education, but it would be nice maybe in the future to have that associates, bachelors, where estheticians and nurses all have the same sort right. of so, background. So it's more regulated. Correct. I think that would that would be great. I, I think that it really does need um, regulation because, you know, depending upon where you were trained, every state is different. Hours are different from state to state. Uh, some states, uh, California is not included in that. It has the master esthetician program. We don't have that. Right. I believe Oregon does, and I, I don't know if. Uh, I think there's only a, ha a handful of states. Yeah, New York doesn't have it either. It's, yeah, it's, it is just very unregulated, and I think it's confusing. I have a lot of estheticians that come here to California where they were firing a laser in Florida or Texas, and they don't understand that, what, we can't do cool sculpting here. We can't fire a laser while I have a, an esthetician license. But every state is different, so your scope of practice really does change when you move to another state and you practice in a in another state. Yeah, and that can be frustrating because that's what I experienced from New York moving to Connecticut is I was able to do those things in New York and Connecticut I cannot and the income change also uh, in you know impacts you because you're making a lot more money doing those services compared it's to It's true. Yeah. I, I have estheticians come to California and say we we can't do microneedling I mean, I can teach microneedling. I, I teach microneedling to people all over the U.S. and outside of the U.S., but in California, as an esthetician, you can't do microneedling. And that just, you know, I, I have people all the time, they do not understand why this is so. And I have to tell them, you know, it's just your, your scope of practice. Every state is different. So even if an esthetician cannot practice microneedling in your state, can she take your course? 
if she you wants can, to? You can, yes. You can take the course. Um, certificate, I always tell the estheticians and nurses, you know, certificate can't um, override licensing. So you can take the courses for educational, you know, purposes and, and knowledge. But you have to have your license first, and then you have to find out what your license allows you to practice. And that requires, you know, checking in, checking with the state board. Right. Very, con very confusing. Right. Or if you um, live, like, sort of in a tri-state area where you're near borders, like I am, that I could actually work in New York still if I wanted to, I could travel back and forth and do my microneedling there, but not in Connecticut. Right, it's just so it's just crazy. Yeah, so that's <laughs> so what I'm saying. You can go, you know, five feet across, right, the state line, and provide maybe the same client with that microneedling service. But if you cross back to the other side, you can't. Right, exactly. So that's why yeah. somebody might take the certificate uh, with you is that they might be they may or may not be close enough to a border that allows them to get work in two states. Exactly. I have a lot of estheticians actually leaving California, some for various reasons, but some they want to have a more um, you know extensive practice, so they go to Arizona or to Nevada or to <laughs> Oregon. They take their what they've learned. They take their certificates, and of course, when they cross that that state line, their um, scope of practice changes dramatically and they can add all these new things into what they give to their, you know, provide for their clients and patients. Can you describe the benefits of a physician-esthetician relationship? What's the benefits for the physician? What's the benefits for the esthetician? Yes. So for, and, and I've worked with lots of doctors, I still do, and I think the benefit for me as well as a lot of the estheticians that I train is that we have that sort of that camaraderie between the two. So if you know you have a question, if you have an issue with the patient, maybe you share patients with the doctor, you can ask questions. You've got that person there sort of as your, um, I want to say, well, maybe your mentor. And the same thing for the physician. Doctors have a lot of questions for estheticians too, you know, about ingredients, about products, about peels, the list can go on. So I think that's one of the benefits of having that relationship. Uh, it, you could work in your own clinic, at least you can here, and share patients with the doctor, or maybe you work in the doctor's clinic and work in your own uh, treatment room sometimes, once in a while, assist the physician in their treatment room, or assist the physician in the OR. There's, uh, I think it opens it up for, at least it does in California, because like I had mentioned before, an esthetician here can be trained by that medical director and then be certified by that medical director, but that certification is just for that particular office. Right. So that's a benefit too. I find too that the docs like to hire estheticians because they already know a lot about skin, and then they can train them in these other, you know, other various areas. So, and in the medical field, there it's a big referral mentality. So you could really right. grow a nice business working with the physician. Exactly, exactly. There's, it's, it's all about network and, and referral. So if you have a, a medical, you know, medical office or a med spa, you know, the esthetician is working in their scope of practice while the nurse is doing the Botox and fillers and lasers. Doctors might be doing something a little bit more invasive. And everybody shares. They share knowledge. 
Um, it's, you know, great energy. Patients go back and forth. Sort of a one-stop shop for all of your medical, all of your aesthetic needs. And I think that's, I think that's great. I think the patients and the clients really appreciate that. The doctors, with their knowledge base, which doctor do you prefer that estheticians seem to do better with, a dermatologist or a plastic surgeon? That really depends on the doctor. <laughs> it depends on the doctor and what they're looking for. I find that, I, I know and, and myself too, have worked with many plastic surgeons and several dermatologists. I find that when you're working with the plastic surgeon, they have their own area of expertise, which is mostly you know, surgery, Botox fillers, all fair things like that. And the esthetician deals with a lot of the skin care. And that's a great partnership because you're you know, kind of two halves of, of a whole. Dermatologists can be great to work with too. They know a, obviously a lot about skin, a lot about dermatology. Sometimes estheticians and dermatologists can bump heads a little bit because we see things a little differently when it comes to the skin or skincare products or skincare ingredients. But it really does depend on the practitioner and the esthetician. There's an exercise in the Milady's textbook where the students are led to go find dermatologists in their area, a practice on the websites, and see how many estheticians they employ. And it's a funny exercise because you would suspect that they would have a lot of estheticians on their roster. But every time we do this exercise, no one, you know, because students come from every different town and we just say, look for just your town only. And they can't find a dermatologist that has estheticians on staff. Because, you know, the exercise leads to maybe you can write a letter if he doesn't have one to promote why you would be a good choice to start. I love that. I, I often encourage that with the esthetician students. Yeah. But isn't Knock that funny? Knock on the doors. Yeah. That's why I asked, you know, dermatologist compared to plastic surgeon, because you would think that that would be a, a marriage made in heaven with dermatologists, but a lot of them don't seem to have, you know, embraced having estheticians on board. I, I tend to agree with that. I find that plastic surgeons love to work with estheticians. I would say if you have, you know, and, and myself too, esthetician students or professionals who are gaining a certificate, doctors have told me time and time again, we love it when someone comes to us, even if there's no ad posted. If you come in and you tell us what you can offer and you have, you know, it's, it's a little uncomfortable sometimes to cold call. Right. But they love that sort of entrepreneurial spirit, that go-getter spirit. You can lay it out for them and say, you know, hey, I'd like to have an interview with your office. This is what I can do for you. This is what I've done. You know, give me a chance. And I find that doctors, and I actually wrote an, an article on doctors and estheticians a while back, and that was one thing that they all said. We like that. Yeah. Come and ask us. To show us what you have. <laughs> to, you know, tell us what you would like to do. And, you know, maybe there's a partnership there. And I think, too, because a lot of the plastic surgeons don't really focus a lot on skin care. Right. Of course, as estheticians, we do. And dermatologists, they have their way of doing things. Gotcha. So yeah. if someone was to do that, whether they were just out of school or seasoned and wanted to get move into that field, what does the compensation look like? Is it usually full time, That you know, or is it per diem? Is it a rental what does that look like um, in your experience 
yes and it's it's all different i have some estheticians that i've trained they're working in a medical office as a salaried employee and some because it's a professional office some do get tips and some don't so that that differs too between office and office i have other estheticians who are independent contractors they go in just when there's a service to be done there whether it be you know, microneedling or microcurrent or chemical peels or whatever it is, and they get paid maybe a commission. Mm -hmm. And then there are other estheticians who work in their own office, another part of town, and they refer clients back and forth to the physician. So there's so many variables. There's so many variables there. And kind of the sky is the limit with that. It's really what you negotiate and how you negotiate and what, what you're looking for and what the physician is looking for. And that might be a good situation for someone who doesn't feel they're strong in the people skills of attracting people to come to their practice because that referral back and forth can you know be a way to gain new clients without feeling like I'm you know out there hawking my wares exactly yeah I, I think that's great too and I know um, for the doctors the plastic surgeons that I've worked with and I've talked to is they really they like working with estheticians because, you know, we refer a lot of patients to them. And in return, I found they refer patients to us. And we can share patients and we each have our area of expertise and our area of specialty. And it's great when you have a rapport with the doctor because if something comes up with the patient, you're, you're not sure, you can get a doctor's clearance. You know, you could take pictures, send them, them the pictures. Or have them even sometimes what I do is I'll have them talk to the patients just on, you know, the phone, mm -hmm. FaceTime. So, and they, and they can give a little consultation like that. Now, I found that about 75% of the docs I work with are plastic surgeons. And then the rest are either internal medicine doctors who are also specialists in medical aesthetics or dermatologists. Yeah. So you had mentioned earlier that uh, you are Sodesco diplomat mm -hmm. and that you also have a program. So what's the benefit of getting a Sodesco certification? Okay, so I taught uh, Sodesco for about 10 years in a program that I was working with in San Francisco. Uh, I, we do some of the Sodesco prep now. One of our teachers, Maria Lorenzi, does. She was one of the first uh, Sodesco teachers here in, in the U.S. But it's more of a prep course rather than a full-fledged course. Mm -hmm. I know there is a, a school in San Francisco that does teach the full program. And it's, I still think, I think it's still 1,500 hours. And that's after your basic uh, 1,200. I don't know how many hours you have there in the New York, Connecticut area. 600 hours for the basic program. Yeah, it's 600 hours here as well. Okay, for the for the state board. And mm -hmm. then on top of that, Sodesco is another 12 or 1500 hours, depending upon where you go. The benefit of that for my students is that they can travel outside of the United States. And as long as, you know, say they're going to about 35 or 36 countries in the um around the globe that recognize the Sodesco certification. So if you are moving to one of those places, you can more easily work with your Sodesco certification. It's based on all kinds of things. Sodesco is um, based in Switzerland, in, in Zurich, and now 
throughout the globe. There are a couple of schools here in the United States, not many, but I think it does help the estheticians to work outside of the, the U.S. And it does teach you a lot. A lot of it is based on, on medical. There are four textbooks that the Sedescos, Sedesco students have to study from, or now five. There's another that was, was added. Um, one is physiology anatomy. The second one is cosmetic chemistry. Then there is um, dermatology. And lastly, there is um, electricity, sort of basic physics. And last one that they added to the lineup is business. So that's great. They added some business in there. Yeah. So when I taught it, they didn't have the, the business program. I, although I do teach a business program, my background is in business. They, the Sedesco program, that was not included. Now it's included. So it really is very well-rounded. Um, it's very helpful. I, I find it's very helpful if you want to work outside of the U.S. But it's a great education nevertheless, depending upon where you go. Are you able to use that um, certification on like cruise ships and like resorts as well? You absolutely can, yes. So to work on a cruise ship, I believe in you know, in international waters, you have to either be, correct me if I'm wrong, either a Sedesco diplomat or ITEC, one or the other. Yeah, I think you're right as well. I think so, yeah. And yeah. so we do have, and we've had students come through for training that wanted to work on a cruise ship. And when they received that certification, they were able to do that. This is where Michelle and I ended our conversation on clinical or paramedical aesthetic career planning. And where I asked her a question about her aromatherapy, which is now giving you bonus material. Now, I know that you also are a formulator, correct? Yes, essential oils. So um, do you want to talk to us about your essential oil program and how you got involved in formulating? Sure. So I have always been interested in um, more of a naturopathic way of doing things, whether it be herbalism, essential oils, Bach flower. I'm more focused, though, on essential oils at this time. I started formulating my own oils about 25, 30 years ago for my own clients and then uh, took a couple of really great programs and became registered here in the uh, U.S. And then after, you know, formulating for my own clients, started a line called Serum Essentials, which is, is an aromatherapy line that mostly creates, or created, I should say, serums and tonics and other things along those lines. I was really busy at that point in time didn't have a lot of time to invest in that particular product line, so I actually sold it to another group who took the formulas and are utilizing the formulas and changed the name. Mm -hmm. But I still have um, in the course, the aromatherapy course, and in that course I teach everything from the chemistry of the essential oils, the history, blending, scents, you know, inhalation, more dermal application and other things along those lines. It's a two-day class. It's coming up again. I think it that will be, let's see, looking at the calendar here in September, <laughs> two-day class. For anyone who's interested in aromatherapy, you don't even have to be a licensed esthetician or a nurse, at least not in this state. Now, I know it might be different elsewhere, but you can. I have a lot of my clients who are just really interested in blending for themselves. 
I have a lot of uh, esthetician students who, or estheticians, I should say, who want to have their own product line, who I've formulated for them, and they've labeled it, and they've gone through that process. And then I've had others who just want to do it themselves. They wanted to do all the manufacturing, all the blending, from you know, from the start to the finish. So I, I do a lot of that. I help people with uh, aroma, their own aromatherapy. If you want to develop your own aromatherapy line, you know, I can help you with that too. So what's the name of the program for the essential oils if somebody wants to take it? And then how would somebody start with you? What do, like, when they want to formulate something, do they, do they need a recipe? Do they just need a concept? Like, how does that work exactly? Yes, yeah, so the, the name of the program is called the Essential Oil Program here at Concepts Institute. And if you wanted to formulate something, you would want to start with the knowledge of all these different essential oils, you know, like let's take, for example, lavender. What is lavender? Well, there are many species of lavender. You know, there's Lavendula angustifolia, there's spike lavender, and the list goes on and on. So people seem to feel, well, lavender, okay, well, I know lavender, it's calming and soothing. Well, not all lavender is calming and soothing. Some lavender can be very stimulating. So you really, in this class, we really get to know about the functional groups and the chemistry of these different oils and how they affect the skin, how they affect the psyche and the body as a whole. So if you wanted to blend, that's the first place you want to start, is really having a good understanding of many different essential oils. Essential oils, as we know, right, they come from plants. It could be the root of the plant, or maybe the leaf, the petal, the peel, like with the orange essential oil comes from the peel. There's many different places, and there's lots of different extraction processes, lots of different ways to extract. And then once you have this oil, what does this oil do? How can this oil be used? What about the contraindications? Some individuals have contraindications. Like, for instance, if you're pregnant, you don't want to use fennel or rosemary, it's too stimulating. If you are an epileptic, you might not want to use a very stimulating essential oil like cinnamon. So we talk all about the different side effects and the contraindications, all of that before we go into the actual blending. The blending is the last phase of the class, but this class actually does cover blending. So you mm -hmm. learn how to make, say, a serum for someone who has acne. Of course, you don't want to use a lot of oil on the skin, but you can make serums with a base of aloe vera oil, which is almost like it's an oil, but it has a consistency of water. And then add to it maybe tea tree, you know, maybe a little lavender, maybe something calming and soothing like chamomile. But then it's not, not just about blending for the sake of the skin or the skin condition. You also need to know about scent, you know, what goes together. Like, for instance, you wouldn't want to blend rose with tea tree because tea tree would destroy rose, you know, those two, so things like that. So we really go into all of the, you know, everything that you need to know uh, about aromatherapy and essential oils. But truly, you could study aromatherapy until the end of time, and there's no way that, that anyone can know, you know, everything. There's just so much to know. It's like studying the, the stars in the sky. But I think in the two-day class, it will give an individual enough knowledge to be able to prepare some basic formulas for your clientele and use it in the clinic or even sell it to your clients. I think a lot of people get started and they get scared because then they're like, oh, how do I know where it's being sourced? Do I know it's a good plant? 
just like you said about lavender, which I didn't know, I just learned that as you said it, that some lavenders are calming and some aren't. So what would make that happen? What, how do you know which plant to pick? Um, the first thing you want to do is you want to start with a really great manufacturer. You know, someone that, you, that you've um, researched, a company that's reputable. We use a couple of different companies. And you want to start with that. And you want to have a conversation with them about their oils. Where, you know, where were they derived from? For instance, you could have an essential oil that is, let's say, eucalyptus. And depending upon where eucalyptus has grown and the soil and the rainfall and the wind and all these different variables, an essential oil of eucalyptus that was grown, let's say, in Australia could be very different than an essential oil that is grown here in the States. Not a lot is produced here in the States. But the constituents, too, would be so different. The chemicals, the, the properties would be so different depending upon all of these different things, the rain, the soil, what you're feeding the plant. So you really want to, to find a great manufacturer, a reputable manufacturer first. And that's sort of the, the starting point. Would that be similar to wine, like how wines have good years have good batches and, you know, not so good batches is because of all those factors? So essential exactly. oils, would that be the same? Exactly, right, exactly. Some years, you know, depending upon the rainfall and depending upon what's going on in the environment, you could have a, you know, you could have a, a great batch of grapes and some years not so good. So exactly, that is, the distillation process is different, although we do some cold pressing with the, with the essential oils as well. Mm -hmm. So what would be some pitfalls or things for people to avoid when they're making their own products at home? I would definitely want to know about the client that you're going to treat. You know, do, do they have any contraindications to these essential oils that you're going to be using? So I would first find a great manufacturer and purchase my organic, organic essential oils, as organic as possible, from that manufacturer. And I would really want to learn a lot about not just the essential oils, but also the base oils and the additives, and these are clean, pure additives. When I say additives, people think, oh, additives, you know, but they could be, additives could be boosters like jojoba oil or maybe vitamin E or squalene or other natural elements like that. You would want to learn a lot about that. And that's where you want to start is just having an understanding of what these essential oils do. And then the contraindications really important too. You wouldn't want to use an oil on someone who's going to have a negative effect to any of the essential oils so there that yeah that's very important and then are there any considerations with the containers that you put these in yes glad you mentioned that <laughs> when you um purchase the containers they should be glass and they should either be a blue cobalt or a brown amber bottle sort of the same bottle that you would store medication in to protect it from the ultraviolet radiation and other elements. Essential oils also need to be stored in a very cool place, at least most of them do. If they're sitting out in the sunshine and the ultraviolet light or even natural light, it could destroy a lot of the constituents of the oil pretty quickly. 
So yes, the bottle is very important. You want to keep it in a tight bottle. As soon as you open it, when you get your essential oils in and you start blending, as soon as you crack open that bottle, that oil has then been exposed to oxygen. So it's usually fully potent for about a year, and then it slowly, slowly loses its potency. Except for pine. Pine can actually go the opposite direction and become a little bit caustic. I learned that the hard way. <laughs> so, so, yes, most essential oils lose their potency with time, though. Yeah. So you want to keep them in that glass, in that dark container, sealed in a nice, cool place. Do you want to share that story of how you learned how pine was caustic? Well, I was blending pine many years ago for myself. Luckily, it was for myself and not for a patient or client. And I love the, the scent of pine. I just love pine. And, and it's also very antibacterial, and it's also very healing. So I had a bottle of, of pine. It was stored in a cool place and everything like that. But it was older. It was about two years old. And I didn't have, that's another thing you want, an expression, uh, you know, an expiration date on it. So I used it, I blended it, I used it on my own skin, and I welted up. After a few minutes, it was hot, it was stimulating, and I tried it again the next day, and I welted up. So the next day, I tried it on a friend, <laughs> luckily not a patient or a client, and they also had a little reaction. And I, and this is before I actually studied aromatherapy and, and long before I was a, a registered aromatherapist. So I really didn't know back then, but I do know now. And, I, and I've done a lot of studies, and, and that's one thing that they say. Don't use pine if, uh, you know, if it's older than about a year. So I didn't know that there was a thing as a registered aromatherapist. So can you describe that for our listeners and... Um, how they can do that with you or as somebody else? Yes, so the Aromatherapy Registration Council registers uh, aromatherapists here, I think both in Canada and in the United States. And back in my day, there was not a lot of training for aromatherapy. There was some training, but not a lot of a lot of training, not where I was at the time. So when I went and I talked to... ARC, the Aromatherapy Registration Council, they said, you know, you need so many hours of aromatherapy training. And I said, well, I've been on my own. I probably have 500 to 1,000 hours of research in. I've been blending for years. I've been, I've done a lot of, um, you know, blends for my own personal clients and the doctor's clients. And, and the individual I talked to said, okay, well, you can take the test, but it's not a very easy test to pass. You know, you don't, it would have been better if I had come in with, I think it's two or 300 hours of, uh, of training prior. So I studied some books. There were on the website, on their website, there are books that you can order to study from. So I bought the books and I read the books and I studied very thoroughly for six months. And then I went in to take the test and luckily I passed with 98%. And there are about 300 questions. Wow. And they were very technical questions and, and very um, chemistry-based questions. And I had a little bit of a background in cosmetic ingredients and cosmetic chemistry, but I, I did study pretty hard. So I passed, and then I was you know, sent my certificate and placed on the list for registered aromatherapists. So that was 
that was a happy day. Yeah. So you do also one more thing. Of all the things you just talked about you do, you also write for trade publications. What is the thing that you have found that's the most important thing that you should that you're writing about today that everybody's talking about, asking about? I would have to say today, and I, I've written a lots of things, aromatherapy and light therapy. I'm just going lymphatic drainage, which I absolutely love. Um, and that's big today, lymphatic drainage, very big. So I would say it's probably between lymphatic drainage and articles on medical aesthetics. Lots and lots of estheticians want to work in medical aesthetics. I would say every maybe 70% of the calls we get are from girls and guys who want to work in medical aesthetics. And lymphatic drainage is, is part of, of medical aesthetics. So I would say that is at the top of the list of the articles that I write today. That started like to circle this all the way back to the very beginning of the interview of what we talked about of branching off into a very strong health and wellness and medical aesthetics. Because lymphatics... Yes, and, and right? I really agree with you. And I did. He, I had the opportunity, which was great, to listen to the interview you did with Mary, and I com was completely agreeing with that. It just like sort of illustrated that lymphatic is like health and wellness, even though it's also medical. But then the medical aesthetics interest. So it just exactly. And yeah. I, you know, lymphatic drainage goes all the way back to the 1930s to the Vater method, as you as you know. And um, now we have so many people doing variations of that. I still have students who come in and they're applying pressure like this. If you can see me, this hard pressure on the face. And I ask, what are you doing? Lymphatic drainage. And I'm thinking, well, if you're applying that much pressure, you're closing down the initial lymphatic. You're not actually opening it up. So for people who really are interested in lymphatic drainage, who maybe don't know a lot about it, lymphatic drainage is so light, you don't even want to feel the bone beneath your fingertips right when you're yeah. performing it otherwise you're closing down the initial lymphatic so I do have a program um, which is actually I think it's a one-day class on lymphatic drainage uh, and I know that's a very popular class people love it they can take it right away and practice it I always say when you leave practice on your friends and family first before you practice on your patients your clients and they'll use the demo video too after we go through all the theory theory we go over you know we use our own faces to practice and then they watch if you can come into class that's great you know having hands-on is wonderful but if you can't if you're from far far away you can take the class and we give you I give you a really good detailed uh, demo video that you can use to practice from and you can always ask me questions people seem to find that's you know that works pretty well and they use it in their regular facial treatments if someone comes in that day and just happens to be a little bit on the puffy side from a hard night before you know maybe has eaten too much salt or sugar which are both hygroscopic lymphatic drainage is phenomenal like right be below your fingertips you'll wow you know this person the swelling is going down so quickly if I do it for myself I look like I've lost 10 pounds in 10 minutes I love it yeah my skin's a lot tighter and you know I look 10 years younger which is always helpful yeah. doctors um doctors like it too after a um a facelift or other types of surgeries if you're trained really well in this area yeah. you could perform lymphatic drainage it helps to get rid of edema bruising it stimulates the immune system 
it's very detoxifying. Drink a lot of water afterwards yeah. to flush everything through. But love, love lymphatic drainage. Michelle, is there anything else that you do that I haven't mentioned today in terms of, you know, books or other courses or things that you... Um, in the Concepts Institute course schedule, I teach, a, I teach the clinical aesthetic phase of things. So treatments of acne, all the different types of chemical peels, in-depth knowledge of the integumentary system, which most of us should know, but I drill down as deeply as we can, science and cosmetic ingredients. Um, let's see, treatments for hyperpigmentation, everything from, you know, as you can see here, solar lentigo through melasma, epilitis, PIH, you know, everyone puts them under this one umbrella of this is hyperpigmentation. And it's there, there's a trigger, they're all triggered differently. You know, the melanogenesis process may be the same, but they're these different types of hyperpigmentation are triggered differently. So the treatments are not all the same. And I find that with a lot of estheticians and nurses and even doctors that they just plunk it all in one bucket and try to treat treat it all the same way you've probably seen that too right right and the the re, it just does not give you the result that you want yeah so i go into all of those different things too in that particular class so michelle if someone wants to take your courses wants to know more about you where do they go where do they find you what websites what instagram handles facebook uh, the Instagram handle, that's a good question. I uh, <laughs> have people handling that for me. It is it is Concepts Institute. So if you go for the uh, the website, if you go to www.conceptsinstitute.com, or you could just Google it, it should pop up. Um, and you could even go from the website into Instagram and Facebook that way. That's helpful. I know I'm, uh, you know, I've been in this industry so long and you know, being nearly 54 years old, I wasn't part of that sort of high-tech, you know, high-tech uh, industry. Yeah. So I'm really learning these things now. And all of my classes have always been live. I've always done live classes. We have some online on-demand classes that were pre-recorded, but not until COVID-19 that I actually start doing, converted all these live classes to be Zoom classes as well. Yeah. So now a lot of the classes are done, well, especially right now, are done on Zoom. And, of course, you've got access to the demo video and you have the PDF and all of that good stuff. But this is all really new for me. And I'm becoming better and better. But I'm still, you know, I'm still a novice. Yeah, myself as well. We're doing these things because we want to affect a higher quality education for the aesthetic industry. So to be able exactly. to reach people further, they're going to start to see that there's people that know more than their local market and that their local market might not be giving them accurate information or correct information. So now they have access to experts like yourself. Yes, exactly. And yourself and all of the great people that you have come on, which is so Im important and I love it. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to come on today, too. And I'm so happy that you had me and you let me share uh, my short story. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's been um, really a, a fun time and we are definitely going to talk about how to get that associate's undergraduate degree uh, yes, I'm right there in line with you. Yeah. I agree that we need just we need more regulations across the board. We need a higher level of education for everyone. Yeah. So estheticians, this is what we do. We love what we do so much. 
that you got bonus material and bonus information from Michelle. This was an amazing podcast and speaking with someone of such depth. I hope that you learned a lot and enjoyed this as much as I did. I'm Cheryl Strath, and you've been listening to Skin365.expert, the podcast. You can follow Skin365.expert and Cheryl Rushy Stroud on Instagram or visit us on Skin365.expert on the web. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcast and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Skin365.expert conversation. Thank you for listening.